This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, it's another pod coming very swiftly off the back of the last one. And unfortunately, it's not a better story than it was for the last one. Albion going down 2-0 at Sheffield United, who in the process got themselves promoted to the Premier League. The chances of Albion having such celebrations uh, are significantly decreased by that result tonight but we will come to the bigger picture in a short while but Pete I mean really it was in many respects a similar story to Sunday I think after we'd been able to sit and digest the game we obviously did uh, did the pod um quite quickly after the game on on Sunday and things are always are always quite uh, quite raw and you go through it in such depth that, that that perhaps you don't boil it down to its simplest form i think once we digested it and watched the goals a myriad of times as i saw as i saw multiple twitter accounts try and blame uh, whether whether it was Mark Albrighton for the for the for the second goal, whether it was uh, any one of a number of players, blame people for not stopping the cross for the for the for the first. I, I thought that the game against Sunderland boiled down to one very simple point: they took their chances and we didn't. Um, you, you ran the xG, uh, the non-penalty xG of the game. It was extremely similar um, between the two sides, and given that we got a penalty in that game, it probably should have been should have fallen in our favour, but we missed chances. And then again tonight, we're again recording uh, uh, hours, not even hours, to be honest, about an hour after the after the final whistle has gone at Bramall Lane. And it's a similar story, Pete. We we, we had chances in, in the first half. We had chances in the second blooming minute. Uh, an absolutely guilt-edged chance for Carl and Grant to put us ahead. I thought whilst Sheffield United had more of the possession, more touches in the opposition box, probably uh, probably more of the field tilt. I would guess you'd be able to tell me on that in the first 45 minutes. I thought we were convincingly the better side. Alex Palmer's had to stop, uh, stop uh, let's try that again. Alex Palmer's had to stop just a snapshot from distance. Whereas we've had a couple of really good chances. Fotheringham's made a very good save from a smartly worked set piece. Obviously we've had the grant chance, We've had a big, big shout for a penalty, which we will, which we will come to as well in due course. But we didn't take our chances, Pete. And in the second half, inevitably, there the came something of an onslaught. Although, again, I didn't think until the mistake, which again we will come to, the we we were really in any kind of danger. But the simple fact is, if you don't take your chances you leave yourself open to a moment and whatever that moment might be against Sunderland, it was two moments of absolute brilliance. But tonight it was a mistake. But either way, you leave yourself open to being punished for 
either a brilliant moment for the opposition or a horrendous moment for yourself. Sunday, it was two brilliant moments for the opposition and they punished us for our missed chances. Tonight, it was a horror show of a moment for one of our players and they punished us for our missed chances. And I think it's the same story over the two games, really. It was a, a night of what-ifs, I think, because it, what if Granite put away that, that chance in the first couple of minutes? What if the referee had given the penalty, you know, 20 minutes later? What if we hadn't given them a goal? And Yeah, it would be a very different story if... if one or a couple of those gone the other way because I think on the whole we played quite well. It was, it was a good performance until we conceded. At the end of the night, it doesn't matter if we if we played well. It matters whether we we picked up the points and and we didn't get any. And now we look we look very unlikely to to make the playoffs. And it's just going to be another season of of champion championship football next season. So yeah, it was it was very fine margins, um, and we're on the wrong side of them. And like you say, a lot of it does come down to to taking chances and and we didn't do that tonight and I think I mean I've seen some criticism for the defense over the last few days I've seen some criticism just in in the sort of hour between the game finishing and us sitting here and recording I've seen some criticism of the players in defense tonight now whilst the there are obvious errors in both goals by the way I I think on the whole we defended well tonight but the problem is at the moment and the question will be why have we suddenly started shipping goals when we looked so solid before? Now, part of that answer will be personnel. Daro Shea is a big, big loss at the, at the heart of that defence and a big, big personality as well, from what I gather from from people who are around him on a day-to-day basis. You know, apparently he's, he is a very well-liked and respected guy. But I think the other thing is that there is there's an element of momentum and variance in this there's momentum in a in a game and if you don't score that momentum is always going to shift and it's always going to shift against you because you give the other team encouragement that they can go on and win the game and that was a high pressure situation for for Sheffield United that they they didn't they didn't need that game to go on into the the latter part of the of the season they didn't need that that game that that their promotion to run on into the last two games of the season that that really would have cranked up the the pressure especially as Luton are, are looking pretty good at the moment so if you can if you can actually score the whole atmosphere around Bramall Lane changes in that moment but for as long as you go on at nil-nil and for as long as the the opposition grow into the game, they're going to become less threatened by you and they're going to become more confident in the game. And the reality as well, and the reason I said about variance is we have under-conceded the XG on in a number of those games we conceded clean sheets. We were always going to let in the odd one here and there. But that's why scoring is so, so important. I mean, it sounds really blindingly obvious to say scoring goals in football is 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 so, so important. But my point is, when you lose a game 2-0 or 2-1, like we did at the weekend, it's very easy to look at, uh, look at the defence and say... Why did we? Why why did we concede those goals? Because I think I think you said it on the pod uh, last after the Sunderland game, Pete. If you look hard enough at any goal, you will find something wrong with it. And by the way, you can find something glaringly wrong with both goals that we conceded tonight. But the fact of the matter is, the reason that the pressure came at the start of that second half, and we'll come to Taylor's mistake in a moment, but it's come from us not scoring goals when we had the chances and you you were just saying to me off air Pete whilst both of us accept the fact that Taylor Gardner-Hickman in that situation should do just about anything other than what he does it still comes from the fact that we, we kind of we get closed down at the back it's a really bad ball into him and then Taylor panics and makes the worst decision he could possibly make I'm not sure that happens if we're 1-0 up I think we I I don't think I think we're a bit more comfortable on the ball we're a bit more confident I don't I, I don't think the 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 crowd and Sheffield United themselves have so much vim and vigor about their play as they came out within the second half because there was a definite energy to them at the start of the second half they weren't letting us play through them uh, and play those little round the corner balls that we were playing in the first half I don't think any of that happens if we're 
if if we're a goal up, do you? No, probably not. And it was, yeah, just a terrible place to get the ball and a good trap by Sheffield United, to be fair. Um, I think the best thing he could have done was actually put out for a throw in because he looked, I think he had two players pressing him from behind it and it looked like he was going to gonna lose it if he kept hold of it anyway. So, um, yeah, it was just a really bad spot to be in. And he made a poor decision and we got punished for it. So, The players not do that enough, Pete, except the fact that they've been painted into a corner and just literally punt the ball out of uh, out of play and then turn around and scream at the person who put them into that position. You you, you always see players now because it's something that you know look I'm uh, as as uh, as we all know without making myself sound sound a relic I uh, I am much older than you and you know I grew up watching that my my first memories of watching football are are in the very early 90s. And that is something that a player in trouble would do just put the ball out the row z as it were i think the modern player tries to tries to come up come up with too many solutions in those problem in those positions sometimes yeah there's obviously a big focus on keeping possession when you have got it and i mean in general there is in most situations there's going to be a way to play out of it um but you do get those some that where you are really trapped and and there actually isn't anything on and i think yeah, that was one of them. Um, and he saw the, the goalkeeper as the outball without actually knowing where Njai was positioned. Um, yeah, I think if he'd known he was there, then there's no way he would have played the ball. Um, so, yeah, he probably should have checked it, had a look up before he played it. Um, but the only safe option was to put the ball out for a throw and, and lose possession. Before we talk a little bit more about Taylor, because we do need to have a have a discussion about him tonight, unfortunately. Um I think we we need to talk about the bigger picture in terms of the finishing, Pete. I, I I've I've been I've been uh, as you know I like a bit of FB ref. I, I, I it it um it ticks a very nice nerd box for me and uh, and I and I do enjoy it. And before we came on tonight, I, I I thought I wonder how our players are actually performing in terms of their expected goals. And look for anybody who doesn't fully understand expected goals. Uh, high xg is not necessarily a good thing um it's you know it's high uh, it's uh, xg versus what uh, your actual goals tells you something quite important if your xg is high but your expected goals are low what that basically means is you're obviously underscoring your expected goals and it means that probably your finishing is quite poor so I I I thought I'd have a look to see how many Albion players are underscoring their xG. I have uh, less goals than the data says that they should have, and the evidence is absolutely frightening. Uh, by the way, FB Ref um, puts data from a game on about twenty four hours after a game, so these numbers don't actually include tonight's game which when I come to Carlin Grant is going to make it look even worse for him. For the eight players who probably should be our biggest goal threats, really, based upon the the expected goals they have. Well, actually, one of them is Carl Bartley, but he it, but um, to take a centre-half out of it, because Carl Bartley has actually overscored his, his XG by 0.9. These are the ones who are, you would say, are our biggest goal threats. Wallace is 1.3 goals under what he should be. Townsend is 1.7 under what he should be. Swift is 1.1 under what he should be. Furlong is 1.1 under what he should be. Grady is 0.9 under what he should be. Of course, he's not available at the moment. Brandon is 1.3 under what he should be. Grant... um, before tonight, he's missed. Uh, he's missed a penalty, um, so he was two point five without the penalty, three point one with it under his uh, under his expected goals. And the only one of the top eight who is overscoring his expected goals is Daryl DK, who is a goal over what he should be scoring according to the data. Now, the first thing to say is, of those seven that are underscoring their expected goals that is a total of 10 goals that they have effectively failed to get that they should have got you add those 10 goals to 
our tally for the season. And I almost guarantee you that translates into enough points for us to not only be in the playoffs, but probably be comfortable in the playoffs. Bearing in mind, we only, we only sit two points off the playoffs tonight anyway. If we've got 10 more goals... I, I, I've got no, no doubt in my mind, Pete, that that is probably a minimum of an extra six points. And we're, we're, we're probably just one result away from the playoffs. We are, that is, when, when you look at this season as a whole and ask why Albion, if we don't make the playoffs, and it's looking obviously quite likely that we won't, and ask the question why Albion don't make the playoffs, the answer is very simple for me. It's two things. One thing is we have got a lot of players whose finishing this season has been extremely poor, has been not the level that you would expect of it. I can forgive Townsend and Furlong because they're defenders, but I'm sorry, Thomas Asante, Grant, Swift and Wallace are attackers who've got to be scoring closer to their expected goals than they are. And the other, the other reason why we are where we are is the one guy who is clearly clinical, has been injured for the vast majority of the season. That's Daryl DK. That's what's going to cost us in in, in the end this season. There's three things for me that, that stand out. is um, One's the time it took to get rid of Bruce and get Corbran in, because um, that could have obviously made a few more points. Um, and then <clears throat> finishing... Has obviously been poor on the whole, um, but but even but just, sorry, Pete. Just to say, and whilst I completely agree with that, Bruce should have gone earlier. It's worth saying we we missed some chances under Bruce as well, though, didn't we? The finishing was bad under Bruce. It was just that the problem under Bruce, which has been resolved under under Corbran, is that it is that we let one in at the other end under Bruce, and up until recent weeks, we generally haven't done that under Corbran. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been poor for the whole season. Um, and then obviously injuries as well. And our biggest goal threat, Daryl DK, has been out for the majority of the season. And as you say, he's, he's one of the few players that has overperformed his expected goals. So he's finished well. Um, but more importantly, is that he, he's got the highest expected goals per 90 of the whole squad. Um, so he's, he gets more chances than, or higher quality chances each game than, than anyone else in the squad. So, um, he get. I mean, he gets the chances that he can miss as well. But yeah, he's been a massive miss, and and we've looked worse for it in the last couple of games. Is it also worth saying that? Um, and this sounds this probably sounds a little bit odd, but um, Dara and Carl Bartley have been a a big miss, not just defensively, but also in terms of goals, because Carl Bartley has overscored his expected goals as has Dara O'Shea, but quite significantly, Pete, Semi Ajayi has underscored his. And I, I, we we are less of a threat from set pieces with Ajayi in there because he doesn't, he doesn't seem to take those opportunities when they come along in quite the way that Dara to a, to a much lesser extent does, but certainly Carl Bartley does. And, um, when you look at Corbrand's Huddersfield and uh, and how set pieces were such a massive part of their 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 play, Ajayi is a he's just a big downgrade in terms of the threat he presents at set pieces. And given his his physical size and and also how how well at times in the Premier League in particular he actually seemed to attack set pieces. I'm surprised, but but all the data suggests that. We we've become we we were actually a really good set piece team in the early days under Corbrand when Bartley was in the side, and since Bartley went out of it, but particularly since Ajayi came in uh, for O'Shea, we've we, we've struggled in that area. Yeah, I think um, Bartley's obviously the biggest miss there. Again, if you're looking at the quality chance they have, each player has per game, then Bartley actually ranks. I think it's fifth for any of our players that have played more than 590. So, I mean, that shows the impact that he can have in the opposition's box. Um, but yeah, I think there's a difference between players that are good, are actual threats in, from set pieces and players that are just good in the air. Um, I think Yokozhalu is a good example for that. I never feel like he's much of a threat from a set piece, despite being arguably our best player in the air um, for more defensive headers. He just he wins such a high proportion of his aerial jewels, but 
in the box. He doesn't seem to attack the ball particularly well, and his a lot of his headers are just kind of um, he just kind of wins them rather than directing them and thumping them towards the goal. So it's sheer aggression in the penalty area, isn't it? I mean, the, the, I I think probably. The best I've ever seen in an Albion shirt, it's probably a toss-up between Gareth McCauley and, and Craig Dawson um, for, for attacking the ball in that way. Yeah, they were obviously both excellent um, and also had Chris Brunt with excellent delivery and, and Tony Pulis with an obsession for set pieces. So um, that probably helped. But yeah, those kind of players, they're, they're very strong in the air, but also very aggressive and big threats in the opposition box um yeah I, well i mean especially tonight we we didn't look particularly threatening from set pieces um to be fair i don't think we had we had many but with yeah without bartley you do lack a, a primary target to hit in the box and, and somebody that you know is going to be a threat if he's in there so he's been a miss as have a number of our players towards the end of this season through injury and you know, look, let's come, let's come on to Taylor because we can't ignore what happened for the goal. It's worth, it's worth saying that even before the the goal, um, I thought the game was moving in a direction that we didn't necessarily want it to. It, it, we we it, whilst we were very we were very good um, for about half an hour of that game tonight, I thought, but. From the 35th minute to... We didn't have a shot between the 35th minute and the 79th minute. And that was... That invited pressure. Um, and obviously, our, our effort... I think I think the next shot that we had after the 35th minute was the Taylor Gardner-Hickman one where he steps inside and, and, and Fotheringham makes a fairly straightforward save. We, we stopped being a threat. And that invites pressure. And that part of that is why the goal comes about. Because, uh, because we invited... Sheffield United onto us. This sounds like I'm trying to um, make the case for the defence on Gardner Hickman. That's not what I'm doing, and you'll see that in a moment. But it, it, I think it is worth saying that what we were doing from about the 35th minute onwards was inviting pressure. That being said, you've got to cope with that pressure better. And it's interesting to look at the data, isn't it, Pete? Because it doesn't seem like Taylor Gardner Hickman actually deals with the, with that pressure particularly well. It's not the first time that we've that, that we've highlighted Taylor Gardner Hickman in this regard. I, I think it was after the Birmingham at home game where we said, "Look, he's got to get these errors out of his game because whilst Bartley had a nightmare that day, Taylor did not help him on that right hand side in any way, shape, or form." and I think Taylor Gardner-Hickman has a lot of the assets to be a really, really good player. What his ceiling is, is hard to know. Um, But there's no doubt in my mind that he has the assets to be a central midfielder that um, that, that is a real asset at this level. But not while he has these crazy moments in him where he costs teams goals or cost them or the very very best case scenario just merely costs a chance and it's as i say it's not the first time and we we, we've spoke about this before pete that part we we believe part of the reason that carlos corbran doesn't regularly pick taylor gardner hickman is that he doesn't trust him and it's interesting that that is actually borne out in the data isn't it because the the, um, the FB ref do a very interesting um, uh, d- data stat, which is um, a comparison of the XG plus or minus per ninety based on when the player is on the pitch versus when the player is off it. Now, most players make a very marginal difference to the expected goals of the overall team, whether they're on the pitch or off the pitch. It, it's it's very minute. Very very few players impact the game seriously heavily. The one the one who impacts it in the most positive way is we're nearly half a uh, plus half a goal better when John Swift is on the pitch. Um, that is that that he's the most positive one. The only players who we are half a goal or more worse when they're on the pitch are Chalaber 
where we're minus 0.59. And the worst, I'm afraid to say, of those players that have played enough games to be a reasonable sample size, so, you know, not uh, not not counting people like Rears Cleary, for example, the, the worst, I'm afraid to say, is Taylor Gardner-Hickman, where we are 0.76 goals worse off, plus or minus, when he's on with uh, when he's on the pitch which which basically me, uh, goes to say that we are more likely to lose a game 1-0 than win it 1-0 when Taylor Gardner Hickman is on the pitch now there's so many factors that go into this but when that number is as high as it is Pete it's quite a worrying statistic isn't it and i think it comes back to the point that Taylor is a good player nobody's denying that but he's got to he, if and we all know Carlos Corbran loves uh, uh, loves his data points, loves uh, loves analysing games. He will be aware of the fact that the team is more likely to concede than score when Taylor Gardner-Hickman is on the pitch. And if that continues, he won't play, will he, under, under Carlos Corbran? Yeah, if it was um, just a, a tiny negative in that statistic, then... It probably wouldn't be much of a talking point, but it is quite a significant one. Um, and it's unlikely that it, it's just down to just fact. I mean, if it was a small, a small negative, it could be factors such as the games that they've played in the opposition they've played against, etc. But it is quite, a, quite a large negative in comparison to the rest of the players. So um, there's probably something in that. And yeah, that we've actually been worse off um, in terms of chances created and chances conceded when Gardner Hickman has been on the pitch. Um I thought to I thought on the whole he did quite well tonight. Um obviously he had the, the massive mistake but I think he did um yeah, I thought it was quite a good performance. I think he moved the ball around quite well. Is that what is that what's frustrating about him though, Pete? Is that it is that uh, I cause I think that most of the time with Taylor that generally especially when he's in central midfield Okay, he was really, really poor against Rotherham, and we've already talked about that. But most of the times when I see him in central midfield, I like him there. But then I also still think he's got he's got a crazy moment in him. He's got a blind pass in him, and it's tonight is not an isolated incident. So it's it's almost like Taylor can just tarnish a really good performance with one moment, and he does it too much. But equally. It seems to be quite an obvious thing that if he can iron it out of his game, if he can sort his concentration out, then he's going to be a heck of a player. Yeah, that, that's definitely the frustrating thing is that um, a lot of the stuff he does can be very good, but then he has these these, these moments where he makes big big mistakes, um, which are, makes it obviously very difficult to to regularly start games if you if you're making big mistakes. Um and I think the other important thing is when you're looking at who you're comparing them with, who's the you know, the the next choice. Well today tonight he obviously replaced John Swift. And I think if you're gonna be fair to both players, currently Taylor Garner Hitman isn't anywhere near as good a footballer as John Swift currently is. But I mean that can change in the future obviously, but right now that's that's what you're gonna look at. Um, were, were you surprised at that at that selection tonight, I, I've taken my usual level of stick on Twitter for 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 the um, for the team because, as you, as you know, I'm I'm a staunch defender of John Swift as an asset to this team because I, I just find it incredulous that there are people who don't rate him. When look, I know data isn't everything, but my goodness me, when uh, when, uh, when when there is no smoke without fire, and when uh, there is so much smoke around John Swift, every data point says he is our best attacking uh, player. And I, whilst I kind of got it to a certain degree, I thought he was a little bit of a, it was a, I, I, I maybe would have been tempted to do what he did, but instead of leaving, um, leaving John Swift out, put John Swift on the left instead of Grant tonight. Yeah, I think it kind of made a bit of sense when the game started and you saw what we were trying to do and there was a lot more fluidity and where players were moving to and the kind of positions they're picking up um, than there has been in recent games. I mean, if you just look at Darnell Furlong, he was popping up all over the shop. At times he was he's down the left wing. A lot of the time he was playing inside and Willoughby was dropping into fullback. Um, 
same with Gardner Hitman and yeah, I think Gardner Hitman's probably more suited to, to doing that and having that fluidity of moving around the pitch and occupying a greater variety of areas than John Swift has. Um obviously Gardner Hitman's you know, he's played full back for us, he's played wing back, he's he came through the, the youth system largely as a winger, I think, so he's got experience playing in different areas and he's got the energy. Um and it also seemed like he was he was told to go and wind up a few of their players and just kind of bring a bit of aggression because there was a couple of times where he... And I like that side of him, by the way, because we haven't got enough of that. Yeah, and I, that looked like it was it was part of the part of the plan. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I like it, um, and I think it can kind of bring a bit of aggression to the rest of the team and, and set a standard there. Um, but the thing that I thought we must have really missed with Swift tonight was just having bodies in the box. There was a couple of times where Jed Wallace had the ball out wide, but the issue was that Thomas Asante was the one that kind of played the through ball down wide, so he was a bit further back making his run and at that point we needed a place to fill the box and, you know, obviously Grant was getting in there, but you need at least one of your centre midfielders to get in as well because otherwise you're just aiming for one body in the box and I think Gardner was just didn't really have the, the instinct to get in the right positions and he seemed to want to delay his run and kind of what John Swift's done a couple of times this season where it's been pulled back to him but Gunnar Hitman was one of the first ones getting into the box so you can't be the one delaying your run you've got to arrive late and already have bodies in there for that to work um, so I think Gunnar Hitman kind of lacked the intelligence to, to make movements into the right position when we did have the ball out wide whereas I think Swift would have been better and, and maybe would have given Wallace a bit more to aim for for his crosses rather than just kind of chipping them to the edge of the box instead. But yeah, I mean, there was, I think there was positives and negatives of having gone Hitman over Swift, but yeah, I, I, after, I mean, initially I thought it was a bit of a strange decision, but after seeing how the game played out, um, I wasn't so against it, but you've also left out one of your best players in, in probably the biggest match we've had so far this season. And it's worth saying as well that we we don't for one second want to suggest that we lost tonight because Taylor Gardner-Hickman made a crazy decision with a pass. It obviously doesn't help to go 1-0 down. But as I said, the momentum had shifted from about uh, late in the first half, particularly at the start of the second half already, where we, we weren't offering anything of a threat. But Pete, the thing that probably disappointed me the most tonight about us was how we coped with that goal or didn't cope with that goal I should say because we've talked about the mentality of this squad um we've we've asked the question are is 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 this is this group of players mentally weak we've kind of gone back and forth on this because every time that you sort of this season anyway or particularly since Corbran came in every time that you think they've kind of reverted to type the stuff that you saw under Bruce and under Ishmael they go and they they go and prove you wrong and like like the second half against Stoke and get and and get a re, pull out a really battling performance and or or grind out like a a big one nil like uh, like Coventry or uh, at home or something like that. So I don't want to I don't want to say that, that that is undoubtedly the case, but what I will say categorically is I thought they crumbled tonight at one nil. I thought they didn't cope with the way the atmosphere got up, got up. I didn't think they coped with the fact that Sheffield United suddenly got their tails up. And we just we just stopped doing any of the things that we were doing in the first half that served us so well. We didn't pose a threat. And the second goal is, I mean, it's a second phase from a corner. Connor Townsend, I do not know what he's thinking. To be stood on the post with your arm in the air claiming offside, mate, you are clearly playing him on. So, like, you know, get your head back in the game. That's extremely poor from Connor. He's got to get out quicker. But that goal was coming one way or another. Whether If Connor had got out from that corner and... Uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to embarrass myself trying to say the centre-half's name. No, I am. Almahodzic, something like that. Anyway, um, the, the Bosnian centre-half... <laughs> If he had been flagged offside in that moment, I'm, I've got no doubt in my mind that that goal would have come anyway, five, ten minutes later, because we, we weren't even a threat. It was one-way traffic, and I'm just so disappointed in the way the players completely and utterly crumbled after that goal went in. 
yeah, I think that was the most um, visible it's been in terms of, well, crumbling. Um, before the first goal went in, I think a lot of the stuff that we were doing was, was really good. Um, our build-up was really good um, and we were getting the ball into the final third in terms of creating chances and finishing chances were pretty poor but most of the other stuff that we were doing on the pitch was, was good um, but after that, after the goal went in we kind of lacked any bravery that we we had prior to that because um, we were, were playing some nice moves and you know, one-touch passes and just linking up quite nicely but after the goal we just didn't seem to want to play nobody wanted to seem to to get on the ball and we've talked start about those. lack of on on pitch leadership, Pete. Did we see that tonight? Did, did we did we see that that isn't that's an area where we where where we really really lack somebody who can just carry a team along with him, pull uh, pull pull them back together in a difficult moment because I I, I I'm not sh- I'm not sure we've I'm not sure we've got that in this group not 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 in a really big way. That can cope with a that can cope with a big furious atmosphere like we faced tonight, and at and at one nil they were up. No, it it felt like it it wouldn't have taken too much. Just somebody that was would have been brave enough to get on the ball and continue what we had been doing for the whole game leading up to that goal. Um, but everyone seemed to to hide after it and and didn't want to play. And granted, Sheffield United were putting us under a bit more pressure. I think they could um, sense that we we were nervous after that. And you know they ramped up the pressure, but still, you need somebody that's a player that's going to start those moves and and show the bravery to to get on the ball in tight spaces and play those passes that we have been playing and and move the Sheffield United players around. And if if one player does that, then I think it makes it so much easier for the rest of the side, especially those that are passing to him, because you just feel like you can trust him a bit more, and then they gain the confidence to to play in those tighter areas and and do everything that we've been doing well leading up to that but yeah we definitely seem to lack any anybody to take the take the game to Sheffield United after after they'd scored we'll we'll come to the bigger picture in in just in just a moment but um Pete we'll uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll grab a very quick break and then we will come and have a look at the bigger picture and how the situation now looks for the baggies going forward <laughs> And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to Albion Analysis. So just to finish off, Pete, I think we just need to have a little look at how the bigger picture looks. And and one thing that I want to say when we talk about the team crumbling today um, is that it's just so disappointing that we that we did that because i think conceding that second goal could be really big i i I mean it is so tight in there i look i don't think anybody's going to be sat listening to this feeling confident about albion making the playoffs and i don't think they should to be honest um on the basis of what we've what we've seen in the last two games because we can't put our chances away we're not going to make the playoffs and even if we do make the playoffs we ain't going to do anything in them if we can't score goals so that's obviously a big concern but if we were to make the playoffs pete i think goal difference could be a factor and the sad thing about conceding that second goal is you now find yourself a goal worse off the Millwall 
three worse off than Sunderland, three worse off than Coventry. I, uh, I, I think there's a possibility that if we were to win the next two games, and I know that's an enormous if and probably highly unlikely, but if we were to go and win the next two games, then that goal could end up costing us anyway, don't you think? Yeah, definitely, because what we have we got the the third, fourth worst goal difference of the. the... It dep- it depends who you count as uh, who you count as in it, uh, Pete. I mean, it, the teams below us um, all have worst worst goal differences. It madly Preston a minus eight, um, but of the teams that are above us that we could that we could mathematically catch. Only Blackburn have a worse goal difference, who, again, showing the complete craziness that their season has been, despite the fact they've been in and around the top six all season, have a minus three goal difference. Yeah, I was, I was looking at the is it six teams. Yeah, Coventry, Sunderland, Millwall, Blackburn, Albion and, and Preston. Of them, we've got the, what I've said now, the fourth worst goal difference um uh, well of, of those we've got we we've got the we've we've got the second worst pete we um uh blackburn and preston are the only ones that of the ones that you've just named um if you if you then add norwich and swansea into that with a fourth worst yeah i think i'm in fourth best it's getting late um Anyway, we'll 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 forgive good. you, mate. You've you've what you've watched ninety minutes of uh, what was probably not not the most enjoyable football you've you've ever you've ever watched in in your life, and then um, and uh, and then had had me throw number after number after number at you. So uh, we'll 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 forgive you a little bit of tiredness at this point. <laughs> but it, but that being said, if you think I'm editing this out, you're absolutely dreaming because it's late. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, goal difference, yeah. Ours isn't very good compared to the teams around us. So that extra goal from Sheffield United might make a massive difference come the end of the season because we're what are we two points off two points off Sunderland here in six. Yeah, correct. So it's I mean that's easily that can easily change um in the last two games of the season. We've seen some of the results of come in the past couple of weeks and yeah, it's just completely unpredictable what will happen. So if we do win the last two remaining the last two remaining games, then we can still easily be in with a shout. But I mean, obviously, the big difference now is that we're dependent on others going in our favour. Um, and if we are in with a shout, then it might come down to goal difference, which is which is why that second goal tonight might might have a massive impact on whether we get into the playoffs. I think the one thing that we can pretty much categorically say, Pete, is that if we are going to have any chance of making the playoffs at this point, we are going to have to take six from six from the from the remaining two games that that we have in front of us, um, because I I just can't that that takes us um, that that takes us to sixty nine points. To put that in perspective, the lowest points total ever since the championship became the championship, the lowest points total a team has finished six on uh, it was was Leicester in twenty twelve thirteen, which would which would be which was sixty eight points. So if if we make the playoffs on sixty nine points, which is the highest number of points that we can get. It would be the second lowest points total in championship history for making sixth place. Or, I mean, hypothetically, I think we, I think we could still we could we could potentially make fifth place with it, but I don't think that's very likely. But I think there's there's no doubt in my mind, Pete, and I doubt there's a doubt in your mind that the only possible way that we can still make the playoffs is by winning both remaining games, yes? I'd be shocked if we did it any other way. I mean, I'd still be shocked if we did it that way, but yeah. That well, it, well like it would the... take a record low points total, wouldn't it? Because uh, four points is is 67, which no team has ever finished, in the history of the championship has ever finished sixth on 67 points. Yeah, and we, we've got to climb above at least three teams um, with two fixtures left, which is you're relying on a lot of results going going in your favour to, to do it even if you do pick up six points. Um I suppose the one the one slight positive there is that there's some favourable fixtures for Alwyn in terms of 
teams within the top, well, within the top half playing each other, and some of the teams that we we need to try and overtake have, have got some tough, well, one or two good tough games in their remaining fixtures. So there's obviously a possibility of it swinging, but we're relying on other results, which is never a nice place to be in. No, I mean let's let, let's just let's just come to those fixtures, um, because we'll 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 finish by just having having a very quick look at, at those. This weekend, this coming weekend, is not especially favourable for for Albion. Um, but the reality is, if we beat Norwich on Saturday evening, we can't be mathematically out of it going into the final day, which I think is where we need to put ourselves. I think the, 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 I mean, look, this season's been crazy. This season's been absolutely crackers, and you wouldn't have had Wigan beating uh, Millwall. You wouldn't have had Huddersfield get, taking points out of pretty much everybody in the top six. But um, when you look at the fixtures for this weekend, Millwall are away at Blackpool. Yes, obviously Blackpool. The only way they can stay alive uh, another week is with is with a win there, and hoping that other results go go their way. But I, I wouldn't fancy them. I, 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 I thought, you know, they looked poor when we beat them the other week. Coventry are at home to Birmingham. Birmingham, absolutely nothing to play for. Yes, as we well know, they're, they're, they're the only team that have... Um, no, sorry, Chef, you have now doubled us because they they did it tonight, of course. But um, before tonight, Birmingham were the only team that had doubled us. But um, nonetheless, and they can be a tricky opponent. I still don't... Uh, Coventry in front of a full house, which is what, what it is now... Um, on Saturday, I don't see any way Cov don't win that. Sunderland at home to a Watford side who seem like they've absolutely given up. Um, Hull Swansea is an interesting one because outside of the top four, I think that's the two form teams mi- uh, matching up against each other, which you you wouldn't have said a few weeks ago. Sheffield United, Preston, Preston facing a Sheffield team who, let's be honest, probably still going to be hungover come Saturday. So you wouldn't you wouldn't love that one to go in our favour. So I think that there's a very good chance that we will we we will need need to uh, and then Monday night is Blackburn Luton and there's a good chance although Blackburn are probably going to be on the floor after two 95th minute equalizers and then losing to the uh, having their rivals win the title at their on their own patch last night I think there's still going to be an element that Luton know they're in the playoffs finishing third or fourth really makes little to no difference to them and i think uh, i think that blackburn may well get a result there because i wouldn't be shocked luton have got a small squad if they rest players for the playoffs so i think we're going to we're we're going to go into the norwich game needing to get a res- uh, to win to to mathematically still be in a shot in with a shot going into the final day would you agree yeah anything but a win Against Norwich is well going to be. I mean, I was going to say all but the season over, but we're already in that situation. I think even if we pick up as little as a draw, then we can be. So, yeah, obviously the only thing we need to win. That's it. I don't think there's much more you can say on that because, yeah, that's the reality of the situation. If we do want to stay within, well, within the fight of getting into the playoffs on the final day of the season. And if we were to do this, and I know it's the hope that kills you, so I, I almost don't, I almost don't want to do this. But if we would, if we were to do that, everybody plays everybody on the final day, which is sort of a good and a bad thing in a in in a weird sort of a way. It's a bad thing because it means that it it, it means that obviously some people have got to pick up points, but. It's also a good thing because it means some people have got to drop points, and obviously a, a, a point, uh, you know, for depending on how how it falls um, this coming weekend. Uh, Millwall f- uh, face off Blackburn, who are both currently above us. Now that could either be a good thing for us or a, or a bad thing for us. It's it, it's hard to know at this point. Preston play Sunderland, Coventry go to Middlesbrough. Obviously, we play Swansea. And the only one of the teams that are in the mix for the playoffs who don't have to play anybody else who's in the mix at this present time is Norwich, who are at home to Blackpool. But then, to be honest, to have any chance, we would have had to have beaten Norwich the previous week, which means that Norwich, in this scenario, are are not 
in it anyway. I mean, it, look, it's a long shot, Pete. Now, I think realistically, if you if you ask both of us where we stood on this one, I think we I think we'd both say that we don't think that um, that we've got any chance of making the playoffs. Really, at this point, I think it's just too much of a long shot. But if you do get to the final day, two points or better off the playoffs, the fixtures give you a chance, don't they? Yeah, and it's going to make for a horribly tense. Saturday afternoon, um, if we do. So. I, I, you're going to be tense for a long time then, mate, because we're playing on the Monday. <laughs> Even worse then. It's got shifted because of, uh, the, cause, uh, cause of uh, our, our glorious King's coronation. Uh, good job that you reminded me. Otherwise, I'd have been sat in front of the TV at 3pm trying to turn on Soccer Saturday. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be much fun for for anybody involved with Alvin, if we do get a win against against Norwich and keep ourselves within breach of the playoffs, um, but as you say, it's the hope that kills you. And we'll leave it there on that note because what 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 better phrase to sum up supporting the Albion than it's the hope that kills you? It, it's absolutely true. Um, we will be back after the the Norwich game. Now that that will either be to talk about how we we look ahead to with hope and optimism to the Swansea game or what is far more likely um to uh, talk about how Albion's season is over and uh, and uh, and how we found ourselves in that in that position. Let's hope it's the former. I think at this point we both probably believe it'll be the latter. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.